I think the biggest thing that we hear as a ministry, whether it's in an email, in a um, at our, in our in our weekly prayer call, or whatever it might be, they say, "I thought I was the only one." And I remember saying the same thing. So for us, the biggest thing is to is for women to understand you are not alone. You are not unusual in your struggle. You are not weird. This is this is a more common tale than they could ever imagine. Beyond all of that, that recovery is possible and that hope and freedom is there if they are willing to put in the work to get there. You're listening to Restoring the Soul with Michael John Cusick. Welcome to episode 19 of our program. I'm Michael John Cusick. Today is the second of a two-part conversation with Crystal Renault. For eight years, Crystal was caught in the chains of pornography, but eventually found healing and freedom. Out of her own journey, she founded and serves as executive director of Dirty Girls Ministries, an organization that exists to provide help, hope, and healing to women struggling with pornography and sexual addiction. Crystal is also author, speaker, and professional life coach from the Kansas City area, and her books include Dirty Girls Come Clean, in which she shares her story of freedom and includes steps and recovery questions for personal or group study. Crystal's second book, 90 Days to Wholeness, expounds upon Dirty Girls Come Clean to journey women through 90 days of daily recovery. Her work has been featured in the New York Times, ABC News, CNN, Christianity Today, The 700 Club, and more. She holds a Bachelor's of Science in Psychology and four certifications, including professional life coaching from the American Association of Christian Counselors. Join me now as I speak with Crystal for part two on Restoring the Soul. Crystal, what role did shame play in your addiction? Um, and not just the shame of what you were doing with the addiction, but the underlying shame. And how did that begin to heal? I think for, for me, shame was a driving force, um, even from day one, because I think I was ashamed that I liked it day one. Um, and so for, by not telling my mom or dad at the age of 10 that I found a pornographic magazine that was already, you know, causing shame because I liked it. I didn't want them to know about it because then I couldn't look at it anymore. And so shame was at the very beginning of my story, my addiction story. And it, and it did come, it did go with me for the remainder of my time. And really, it went with me even even into recovery, because I had been porn free for five years before I ever told anybody else about my story, um, because I didn't know how that was going to be interpreted. I didn't know how that was going to be received by people at church. And I worked on a staff at a church. I worked on staff at a church, and so there was a lot of of questioning, you know. Is this something that I can really tell people, even though I'm I, I am healed? Even when I was healed, I had shame, and so I think I think shame is just a widely overarching theme with pornography and sexual addiction as a whole, and particularly and definitely was in my own life. 
So what was it like the very first time you shared your story, not just to one other person, but to a group? Because now you, you do that regularly. Yes. Um, in 2000, I'll, I'll begin by saying in 2007, um, I lost my pastor that I who had been my pastor for almost 10 years uh, due to a moral failing. He'd been having an affair for five years with my mentor and I was on staff at the, at the same church. And so it was through kind of that mind blowing experience of seeing someone in the clergy, you know, somebody who was supposed to have been, you know, a man of faith, and even a woman, a woman of faith who I, I saw as my work mentor, um, kind of show was kind of a catalyst to me beginning to share my story because understanding that this, that sexual sin affects everyone. It's not just unchristian; it's Christians as well. Um, it gave me it almost their story almost gave me the courage to share my own. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And how did you find people reacting? Because I, I've experienced for years now that when I tell my story, people just come out of the woodwork, and even if it's not a sexual struggle. They come up being drawn to the idea of wow, someone's talking about their brokenness. Yeah, and yeah, and I think for for all of us on staff at the time, the idea that this man that we all looked up to was a very broken man really almost became introspective about our own brokenness. Like, you know, are are we as close to the Lord as we want to be or need to be? Um, what are we, what are we hiding, you know, about, about our own lives? Um, and so it was through that, that experience that I just kind of felt the Lord pressing upon me, like, Hey, you have a story to tell, you know, you, you went through something that, um, women don't talk about and, um, and he had delivered me from it. And so I had a story to tell and, um, I just kind of felt led to begin leading just a group at my church because we had what were called lifelines, which were different kinds of recovery groups at my church. And certainly there was a porn recovery group for men that was meeting, of course. Um, and then there was like celebrate recovery for alcohol and, and different things. And I was on staff doing communications and graphic design work. And so I really wasn't in ministry, quote unquote, um, but I went to our director of counseling and I said, hey, I'm interested in leading a women's group. And they're like, well, that's great. <laughs> what do you want to lead? Um, and so basically I had to say, well, I, I, really, I really, really feel like I'm supposed to be leading a group for women who struggle with pornography. And this man who was our director of counseling, he had known me since I was 15 years old. Um, I had no idea about my story. And, and so I basically had to – he basically looked at me like, well – what do you know about that? <laughs> you know, like one of those things like, so in that very moment I went from no one knowing about my struggle except for one person to at least, you know, a dozen people know because the staff now knows. Um, and then it was in the bulletin the next Sunday. And so it kind of became this thing where it went from no one knows to everyone knows um, but I'm thankful that at the time, my, it was a very safe church to be a part of. Um, they understand when people are broken. We walked through something, you know, that everyone could see people are broken. And so I feel like, you know, in, in a lot of ways, God had placed me in the perfect place at the perfect time 
to really begin to share my story and for my own ministry to really be birthed and to grow in. So, Well, I'm so glad you took the risk to share like that and um, that you continue to do that. I'm going to ask you a question that I, I myself don't like being asked because it's the statistics question. And people ask me, you know, how bad is the problem? And, you know, what are the statistics? And I say, it's like secondhand smoke. It's it's everywhere. And even if you're not a smoker, it's still going to affect you. But the reason why I'm going to ask the question, even though I don't like it, is it seems to me that with all statistics, that there's kind of an underreporting. And is the problem with women and compulsive sexuality much worse than we think? I believe so. Absolutely. Um, there's been surveys done um, every so often, mostly from um, Christian people, organizations and whatnot. And about 12 years ago or so, there was a survey done with Christianity, or um, sorry, Today's Christian Woman, which is an affiliate of Christianity Today. And they did a survey asking Christian women about their struggle with pornography. And at that particular point, 20% of the women surveyed said they struggled. And so that's 20% of Christian women based on however many women were surveyed. About two years ago, I was asked to write an article for today's Christian woman. So it had been 10 years since that initial survey came out about pornography addiction. They wanted me to write about women's pornography addiction, kind of share my story and, and everything. And in doing so, I asked them, well, could we, could we restart that? Could we do a you know, 2.0 version of that survey and kind of see where we are now as a society, as a culture? Um, and they let me do it. <clears throat> and so that was great. But we, there was um, 709 surveys um, uh, filled out as a result of that article by Christian women. And in that s- survey, it found that 40% of them struggle with pornography. So if, if all things being the same, let's say, because it's, it's the same publication, um, you're talking 10 years difference, doubling the amount of women who struggled. And I think that is likely true with as, as technology has, has changed, as even, as even pornography has changed. I, we see all the time that porn producers are now creating pornography by women and for women, um, knowing that women are in an entire demographic and consumer base that they can reach. Um, so it's it's uh, pornography that's more emotionally focused and more emotionally driven? Yes, much more like um, erotica on screen. So it's not like the pizza man comes and you have sex. It's more like... This is, they are married, you know, or they're in a relationship and they're committed um, and those kinds of things. But, of course, to me, that's just a gateway drug in a way with pornography. It's like that kind of gets them in the door to pornography and as their needs and, their, and then eventually their addiction grows and escalates, they go on to regular pornography as well. And then, of course, porn itself begins to escalate. Um, so I do think that, that, yes, absolutely, women women using pornography and becoming addicted to pornography is an ever-growing problem. 
And until people like yourself, thankfully, are now talking about it in churches and leaders and organizations and even counseling counselors getting training on this area, if we don't get that, that understanding, women are, are going to continue to be silent and alone in their struggle. Well, as you began telling your story, um, and as you began that group at the church, that has really flourished into an entire ministry. And you started Dirty Girls Ministries, and and you also have a book that you wrote with uh, Moody Press, Dirty Girls Come Clean. Tell me a little bit about how the ministry grew out of that group that you first started at your church. Yeah, my first group started I, 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 in uh, about mid-2008 or so um, at my church. And to be honest, it was a very small group of women. There was three or four of us in that group. And the irony of it was none of the women who came to the group actually went to my church, which I think is um, an interesting um, thing because it kind of shows women don't want to be seen going into a classroom um, for this for this struggle, and so they found me um, through other agencies that I had reached out to to let them know we were going to be doing a group. And as I was working through the material that we were using, and it was it was much more of a broad sexual addiction uh, curriculum. I just began to kind of see these women kind of pulling back from me a little bit and kind of struggling with this whole idea that I'm a full-blown sex addict because they didn't feel like that was their identifying trait. They, they struggled with pornography. They struggled with masturbation, but they weren't, like, having affairs and stuff. And so they were kind of struggling with this material. And so as a result of that, I went to Barnes & Noble, and I'm looking for something else. Um, and there was nothing there, <laughs> obviously that was for women. There was things for men like Dr. Mark Laser and different people had written books, Patrick Carnes, obviously for men. And I knew that working through material for men was not going to make them feel better about themselves. Um, and so as I'm sitting there in Barnes and Noble, kind of feeling defeated about the whole thing, I just, once again, I mean, I, I've always had this relationship with God where he speaks to me in my, into my spirit. And I just kind of sensed that he was saying, well, you write it. I've always, I'd always been a strong writer. I had always done well in, you know, AP English and everything else. And I'd always been a great communicator. Um, and I had been blogging for a long time at that point. And so he said, you write it and you use your influence to, to get it done. And so I went online to my blog wrote a survey about women and pornography addiction to kind of get some more information about how women struggle. And I had some people that I knew, um, like Anne Marie Miller and, and different and Carlos Whitaker and just different bloggers that were influential that, that somehow I'd become friends with, um, shared the survey on their, on their own blogs. And in one week's time, I received 300 surveys from women across the country and around the world saying, this is my struggle. Here's what it looks like. Um, and as a result of those surveys, um, my book was written and Moody publishers reached out to me and released the book. 
Um, but under, but being able to see in that one week's time that 300 women were struggling, it kind of showed me that this was a much bigger struggle than just my own, much more struggle than just having a group at my church. This was a untapped ministry opportunity that God was calling me to venture into because of my own experiences and knowing that this is, this is something that I, I, I would have needed, you know, that I, I needed to have back when I struggled. Um, and so in 2010, we became a nonprofit and launched our online community, um, groups, trainings, conferences. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's continued to grow. And, and that is the, uh, the ministry and the nonprofit that you're referring to is dirty girls ministries. What's the website so that people can check it out. Our, our website is dirty And your book is of the same name, dirty girls come clean. What's the, the big idea that you want people to be left with if they read your book? That they're not alone. I think the biggest thing that we hear as a ministry, um, whether it's in an email that I get or in a um, at our, in our, in our weekly prayer call or whatever it might be, they say, I thought I was the only one. And I remember saying the same thing 13 years ago or 15 years ago. And... So for us, the biggest thing is to is for women to understand you are not alone. You are not unusual in your struggle. You are not weird. This is this is a more common tale than they could ever imagine. Beyond all of that, that recovery is possible and that hope and freedom is there if they are willing to put in the work to get there. That's awesome. And the way that you've structured things, people don't need to drive to Kansas City, but you have created an online community where you offer support and recovery uh, through the yes. Internet. Yes, yeah, we have an online community of women where they can um, log in anytime, 24 hours a day, uh, seven days a week, 365, and get support, accountability, prayer, um community, a community that they can't find in their own backyard, you know, but at the end of the day, we do want women to not just rely on the internet, but to um, be on a local church level and be able to communicate and be face to face with those in their area. And so we have a real heart for the local church and helping church leaders and counselors be able to navigate this issue and to provide opportunities for women to find healing as well so that they're not just anonymous online. And in partnership with the local church, part of what you do is you just said that you provide um, resourcing and you do a conference that uh, you told me earlier that it's going to be online this year, but I want to hear about it. It's called the Whole Women Weekend. Yeah. What is that, and how do people find yeah, out about our, it? This is, it's basically a weekend retreat, and we've done it. This is well, this will be our fourth year. We've done two um, that were at brick and mortar at, at, at churches, and then we've had one other one that was entirely online. And this year we're going back to the online model, and the entire focus of our retreat this year is pornography recovery. And so we are going to have it on December 31st, 2016, on New Year's Eve. It'll be online. 
And the whole idea is to start the year porn free. And so with that, they are going to be able to log in or we'll just kind of go online and watch and listen to speakers interview style about um, testimonials of women who struggle. Um, even parents can log in and kind of learn how to safeguard their homes um, and their children's devices um, and just kind of, you know, really just kind of navigate what does recovery look like and, um, and what does it look like for you and how do you enter into that recovery and that, again, you're not alone in your struggle and that we are here as a support for, for you as you enter into that recovery opportunity. So we're really excited about what that conference is going to be because um, we're just excited that it's going to be just, just about porn and about um, recovery and just an opportunity to, to come clean. That is awesome. And I love the fact that it's online and you're using technology to redeem technology. Oh, that's been the biggest thing since day one is the idea that the Internet can be the best and worst place for an addict because um, in order to go online, you're tempted to go where you're not supposed to go. Um, and so for us, we want to re- we, we, we said that we want to redeem the Internet. Because um, it can be a place of real community and real recovery if it's used correctly. Um, and, it can, and, it's, and it really, I believe, is one of the greatest instruments that the church has at their disposal to spread the gospel um, as well. So we need, all of us need to use the Internet in a way that is redemptive and to uh, make it a safe place for people to be. What can men do in this struggle, um, you know, so men historically have been the, the biggest consumers of pornography, but whether it's a pastor or a father or um, a friend, what can men do to help lighten and take away the stigma for women? I actually heard this the other day. Um, the best thing that pastors and men can do is use one little word. And that word is and. Instead of saying men struggle, men and women struggle. And and giving women the chance to be in that dialogue and to include them in the dialogue. Because until, until we hear from the pulpit or from counselors or wherever it might be that women also struggle, there's going to continue to be this notion that they don't. And so we have to begin to include them in the dialogue. Thank you for that. That's, that, I mean, that's very, very helpful. That's doable. And uh, I think it opens one's eyes to, um, it, it opens my eyes to just how important it is to include you and women in the conversation. Yeah. And it's not just about, um, you know, being, we're not saying for you to create programs for us. You know, I think that that there that that it does need to happen, but you don't have to re, you know, recreate the wheel. There's ministries like mine. There's Bethesda workshops in Nashville. There's Jessica Harris, beggar's daughter. She has a blog, you know, that, that she writes about women in recovery. You know, so there's places that you can refer women to. You know, so it's not just about feeling like you have to have somewhere for them to go. It's just it's just a matter of including them in the dialogue and saying so that they don't hear on a regular basis this is a man's issue. 
they need to be able to hear that this is also a woman's issue. Men and women struggle with pornography. And so that, and that's really going to be the most critical thing that leaders can do just to get the stigma off of it is to include them in that. Well, it seems like including women in the dialogue is something historically that's needed to happen. And in all kinds of different issues, that's happening more and more. And um, I sure want to participate in bringing uh, women into that dialogue. Um, I want to wrap up in just a minute, just because of time constraints, and hopefully I can have you back on the podcast. But what are three to five bullet points that if someone's listening or someone passes along the information from this podcast, three to five bullet points of what a woman or a girl can do if they're struggling and they've never told anyone and they don't know where to begin? Mm. That's so hard um, because women, unfortunately, unless they know someone they can reach out to, they're not going to. Until they know that someone is safe to reach out to, they're not going to reach out out to them. Um, And so there's not that many bullet points, unfortunately. Um, I will say that if a woman is struggling, what she needs to do is have faith in people that when she tells them their story, they're not going to shun her. Um, I think that's the biggest thing is that women who have this struggle think that if I tell someone, they're going to look at me like I have two heads and that they're not, they're going to be like, really women don't struggle with that. Um, and so I would think they need to be brave because until, until women are brave about this issue, they're not going to, there's just not going to be opportunity for recovery for them. Um, and so that goes from women who are already in recovery and healing and women who are not yet into that journey. They both have to be brave. The woman who is in recovery needs to be brave enough to share her story out loud. And the girl who um, is still struggling needs, needs to be brave enough to confess. Um, it's not easy. Trust me. I know it's not easy. Um, I always say I was, I was lucky. I was lucky that the encounter with that woman happened in my life because I don't know what life would have looked like if that hadn't have happened. And so it's not luck as much as I, I was incredibly blessed to have that opportunity. Um, but I also know that God never wastes the experience of what you've gone through. And so be brave. Be, be very brave. And implicit in, in what you're saying is that it's impossible to heal alone. It needs to happen in relationship. Absolutely. And I think that's true for men. I think, you know, you can't, re- you can't recover alone. We're not meant to be alone. We're, we're made and created by God to be in community. That's why it wasn't right for Adam to be alone. Um, and he created Eve for him. We, we weren't created to be alone. And certainly struggles, addictions, um, problems, they fester and they grow in the dark. Um, and so you have to bring it to light. Otherwise, you're just not going to heal. Well, Crystal Renault, thank you for your bravery and courage to speak, to tell your story, to write your book, giving women uh, so much hope. And thanks for your ministry, Dirty Girls Ministries. 
and I hope that you can come back on the program sometime. So thanks so much. I would so love much. to, and thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. You've been listening to another episode of Restoring the Soul. Learn more about how we cultivate freedom and wholeness of heart at restoringthesoul.com. dot